Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings, comrades, and welcome back to the Eastern Border. Today, I want to present to you the part two of our Constitution Competitive series. Last time, we checked out the very basics, the articles of the establishment of the state and what the Constitution is all about. The first articles of four constitutions, Soviet Union's 1977, French one, American one, and Lafayette one. Today, I want to talk about the parts of those constitutions that concern people's freedoms. In the United States Constitution, that one's called the Bill of Rights, because, well, unlike every other country on the planet, I think so at least, as far as I know of, you American people like to just add stuff and just throw it in the Constitution without changing it itself. Meanwhile, everywhere else, well, that's a part of the default Constitution itself. We're gonna take a look at the articles or amendments or bills or whatever, all these things in the constitutions, four of them, that basically define what your rights and freedoms as a person are. Now, the first thing that needs to be noted here is that in each of the constitution, all of this is separated and in different locations. For example, in the French ones, they still published the Declaration of Human and Civic Rights of 26th of August, 1789, with a repealed tile, and it's uh, under the tile 17. It's only after all of their explanations of what a French state is and how it's being run, only after all of that they slapped in the historical revision revised in 2008 this whole Declaration of Human and Civic Rights of the 1789. That's their basis of human rights. That's one of the things, and they um, give acknowledgement to that that's the basis of their constitutional like civil rights and everything. Meanwhile, in the United States, you have the Bill of Rights, which are the first ten amendments of the Constitution added next to it instead of like putting it in there. It's in the very beginning, just just you know after that because all of the United States Constitution is basically well amendments upon amendments. So like French put their human and civic rights at the end, Americans put it at the beginning. Soviets, by the way, put it on the number two, the state individual section, 
as the number one was the principles of social structure and the policy of the USSR. The state and the jewel it has uh, two chapters, two sub-chapters in this article too. Number six is the citizenship of the USSR, equality of citizens' rights. And number seven, chapter seven, is basic rights, freedoms, and duties of the citizens of the USSR. That's how this whole section is structured. We're going to be reading through all of this. We're going to be comparing. And back in Latvia, well, fundamental human rights is just chapter eight. That alone states that for a lot of countries, it seems that your individual rights are not a priority because, well, like I mentioned the last time, you put the most important articles as the first ones. You put what's the most important part of the constitution at the beginning and go down from there. What your whole constitution, what your whole deal, what your whole country is all about is always in the number one spot and, well... For the French, it's basically their secularism and their social state. For Latvians, it's the fact that we got our independence and that we are a continuation of the old state. For Americans, it's, well, their individual freedoms and the right to, well, the American dream, I, I suppose, because that's how you would put it anyways. For the Soviets, well, the number one spot in that constitution was the social structure, the very socialism itself. That was the leading idea. What does it mean to be a Soviet state? What does it mean to be the USSR? How do people live there? Again, we're going to be looking at some, well, complex issues here, but I can assure you this whole thing will be very important come next week when I finally get down to, get down to all the Stalin. That's everything that's in my head, to be honest. And Well, that and uh, some uh, more or less not as pretty issues. Well, let's get it on, shall we? So, let us start with the Soviet Union's uh, constitution at this point. I'll just read uh, some of the articles of Chapter 6 of the Citizenship of the USSR and Equality of Citizens' Rights, because that's quite a long one. And the interesting part is that, well, Article 33 of the whole constitution, which says, quote, <clears throat> Uniform federal citizenship is established for the USSR. Every citizen of the Union Republic is a citizen of the USSR. The grounds and procedure for acquiring or forfeiting citizenship are defined by the law of citizenship of the USSR, when abroad citizens of the USSR enjoy the protection and assistance of the Soviet state. Yeah, the thing is, like, uh, people always tend to forget that USSR was technically a federation. That was the most important thing that they posted. It wasn't the United Bloc, and it's even written down here in the 1977 one. And then there is the Article 38, quote, the USSR grants the right of asylum to foreigners persecuted for defending the interests of the working people and the cause of peace, for participation in the revolutionary and national liberation movement, or for progressive social and political, scientific, or other creative activity. So, the USSR, by constitution, have to give right to every pro-Soviet dissident ever. Which they, well, did, as most of them were deeply sleeper KGB agents anyways, but that's kind of the fun thought as, again... They postulate themselves to be the defenders of the socialist thought, the bringers of this social enlightenment. And then, then we get to the fun chapter, chapter 7. Basic rights, freedoms, and duties of the citizens of the USSR. This is going to be a bit of a long one, but it is important here. I will probably not be touching so much of the other constitutions here. Well, because just taking the modern points from them, but I want to read you this chapter 7 of what and how the Soviets viewed themselves, at least on paper, and how they wanted to present themselves 
outwards in the general public of all the other countries. Because obviously, when inside the USSR, yeah, this constitution wasn't as much as a guiding principle as it was a vague recommendation. Oh boy, this is going to be a bit long, but please do listen to this. There are comments incoming. Article 39. Citizens of the USSR enjoy in full the social, economic, political, and personal rights and freedoms proclaimed and guaranteed by the Constitution of the USSR and by Soviet laws. The socialist system ensures enlargement of the rights and freedoms of citizens and continuous improvement of their living standards as social, economic, and cultural development programs are fulfilled. Enjoyment by citizens of their rights and freedoms must not be to the detriment of the interests of society or the state or infringe the rights of other citizens. What this subtly tells you is that people have their rights as long as the state doesn't tell them they don't have them. Because again, the enjoyment by citizens of their rights and freedoms must not be to the detriment of the interests of society or the state or infringe the rights of other citizens, but this society and the state part is important. Basically, the USSR Constitution declares that you may have your rights as long as we allow you to have your rights. As long as those rights are not infringing on the rights of the state, which in this case, as defined in the Article 1 of the USSR Constitution, means the rights of the party. The rights of the Communist Party basically are supreme and enjoy sort of a primacy over every citizen right in the Soviet Union, and, well, that was also explained in the early articles when the state defined itself as a uh, socialist institution, putting this primacy on this institution of socialism in front of everything else. So, you know, this is very, very different from, say, other rights granted in, in other countries. See, in the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights basically consists of just those ten amendments, which basically are very specific rights. Meanwhile, other constitutions just, well, define their rights in a bit of a vague way at the beginning and then move onward, like in this case. Article 40, which is interesting because if in the Bill of Rights for the United States, the amendment, for the first amendment is, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's our first right, the freedom of speech in all its forms, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of press, freedom of, of meetings, everything. That is the most important kind of right in the United States Constitution. Meanwhile... If you would compare this to Latvia and Latvian, the same thing as Part 89, the state shall recognize and protect fundamental human rights in accordance with this constitution, laws and international agreements binding upon Latvia, and uh, Paragraph 90, everyone has the right to know about his or her rights. Yeah, in Latvia, your first most important right is the fact that you are allowed to know about your rights in full. Meanwhile, in France, the Article 1 then says... Men are born and remain free and equal in rights. Social distinctions will be based only in considerations of the common good. See, that's the difference. These three things, like United States, one, Bill of Rights, is all about your own personal freedoms. While in Latvia, it's about, well, your first right is to know about the rights that you have, and they continue on with other ones. Meanwhile, in France, they are more like pushing on this kind of their secular social state thing. Well... Soviet Union, being the socialist state that it is, 
that it was, to be more precise, defining themselves by that. Yeah, their number one right, again, and as should be in every constitution, these rights are all written down and kind of their importance, right? So, in the USSR, the first right defined in the constitution is the right to work. Article 40. Citizens of the USSR have the right to work, in brackets, that is, to guaranteed employment and pay in accordance with the quantity and quality of their work, and not below the state-established minimum, minimum, in bracket, including the right to choose their trade or profession, type of job, and work in accordance with their inclinations, abilities, training, and education, with due account of the needs of society. This right is ensured by the socialist economic system, steady growth of the productive forces, free vocational and professional training, improvement of skills, training in new trades or professions, and development of the systems of vocational guidance and job placement. Yeah, if every other country grants you the right to say whatever, to know whatever, to do whatever you want to do to express yourself, USSR grants you to right to work, which is interesting because right to work is what people usually quote when they're struggling against trade unions, but the right to work is a very communist idea here because, well, obviously it's only a right as uh, long as you work according to due account of the needs of society, read Communist Party. Then the rights of the USSR continue. Citizens of the USSR have the right to rest and leisure. This right is ensured by the establishment of working week not exceeding 41 hours for workers and other employees, a shorter working day in a number of trades and industries, and shorter hours for night work. By the provision of paid annual holidays, weekly days of rest, extension of network of cultural, educational, and health-building institutions, and the development on a mass scale of sport, physical culture, and camping and tourism. By the provision of neighborhood recreational facilities and other opportunities for rational use of free time. The length of collective farmers working a leisure time is established by their collective farms. The fact of how much you should work and what education you should get and what everything, well, that's prescribed. You technically have a freedom, but the USSR constitution basically declares that, well, you have the freedom of choice in whatever thing that the party provides you. And in the right of the election, it's the same thing, you know, you have... You are totally free to vote for every list appearing on the ballot, except all the lists that appear on the ballot are, well, you know, determined by the Communist Party. And you have a freedom to choose between all one of them. That's technically right, isn't it? I mean, that's written here in the Constitution itself. Meanwhile, the United States Amendment 2, probably one of the things that a lot of arguments go around about gun control. Amendment 2 is, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So basically it's about gun rights. Gun rights versus rights to pick whatever you have been neatly provided for. Now I'm not going to go through the French thing here because then we're going to go into deep, deep length. Because, well, if you listen to this show, you probably listen to Mike Duncan's Revolutions as well, and he has a whole episode dedicated to the full reading of the Declaration of Human and Civic Rights of this 26th August 1789, which is an interesting document. It's an important thing, again, to understand where everyone focuses there. Meanwhile, in Latvia, and further on with these very basic rights, we have the fact that 93... The right to life of everyone shall be protected by law. And 94, everyone has the right to liberty and security of person. No one may be deprived of or have their liberty restricted, otherwise they're accordance with law. 
and, interestingly enough, 95. The state shall protect human honor and dignity. Torture or other cruel or degrading treatment of human beings is prohibited. No one shall be subjected to inhuman or degrading punishment. Interestingly enough, in Latvian constitution, what your uh, First Amendment says is expressed in two uh, paragraphs here, paragraph 99. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. The church shall be separate from the state. That's all of our religious freedoms. And 100. Everyone has the right to freedom of expression, which includes the right to freely receive, keep, and distribute information and express his or her views. Censorship is prohibited. Well, that's basically what my constitution in Latvia says about the freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And the fact of the separation of church and state is really just that statement, which is literally interpreted by some of our constitutional scholars as literally meaning that, yeah, Latvian government can do basically anything, whatever, as long as we do not have an official state religion, which, by the way, Sweden has, and UK has, and Denmark has, it's, you know, it's not, it's not totally unknown in these parts. Russia also has a state religion, obviously, that's orthodoxy. Well, de facto, they don't have it in the constitution, but there's a lot of countries in Europe that actually do have a state religion, not that they would infringe on people's rights as much, but still, these rights are important here. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union's constitution, again, as you might have noticed, are totally weird. Um, I'll be skipping through this because, well, it's a really long read, but some of the most important ones are important. Article 42, and this will be one of the few ones that I'm going to read in full because this is a Soviet law. This might come in handy if, you know, there are people going around about whether or not healthcare is a right. Well, it was on, on paper in the Soviet Union as they wanted to present themselves to other, other countries, even though that didn't really work out that well. But Article 42 of the USSR Constitution states that, quote, Citizens of the USSR have the right to health protection. Their rights are ensured by free, qualified medical care provided by the state health institutions by extension of the network of therapeutic and health-building institutions, by the development and improvement of safety and hygiene industry, by carrying out broad prophylactic measures, by measures to improve the environment, by special care for health of the rising generation, including prohibition of child labor, excluding the work done by children as part of the school curriculum, and by developing research to prevent and reduce the incidence of disease and ensure citizens a long and active life. I mean, they basically guarantee the right, and then they go on a full triade, on a full-blown kind of, and look what specifically we're gonna do to make this right totally worth it. We're gonna do these specific things, and if you complain that we're not doing something in the way that's written in the Constitution, well then, uh, wait, people are allowed to read the Constitution these days? No, but seriously, the right to healthcare is an important issue, but still, like, there are... Two options how to define this, even if you would look at this. One would be this more vague interpretation with some interpretation in it. Meanwhile, the Soviet state did not go, like, vague about their rights. I mean, they also have um, Article 43, citizens of the USSR have the right to maintenance in old age and in sickness. And then they explain exactly, well, what does that mean? All of this, retirement pensions, disability pensions, and then they have citizens of the USSR have the rights to housing. Uh, yes, there were technically no uh, homeless people in the USSR because the government promised everyone a space where to live, except that you had to wait in line for that for 20 years, and they would basically put you in a communal apartment uh, until that point. And it was much more complicated than that, but yeah, technically USSR gave the rights to housing to its people. In Article 45, they also gave the right to education, which is 
like all this free forms of education, compulsory secondary education, all that. But in every of these aspects, in all of these points, they go into the very, very specific details. Then there's like also Article 46, where it says that the citizens of the USSR have the right to enjoy cultural benefits. And now that we've gone through housing, rest and leisure, work, health protection, uh, pensions, education, we haven't really even gotten to some uh, rights of free speech and everything. But we'll get to that. That is Article 47. And if you sometimes complain about uh, freedom of speech laws, well, not being, how would you like them to be in your country? Well, here goes the Article 47 of the Soviet Constitution. Okay, so uh, here we come to the probably most Soviet of all the articles of the Constitution. Article 47. Article 47, no less, that touches this very important subject. Citizens of the USSR in accordance with the aims of building communism, are guaranteed freedom of scientific, technical, and artistic work. This freedom is ensured by broadening scientific research, encouraging invention and innovation, and developing literature and arts. The state provides necessary material conditions for this, and supports the voluntary societies and unions of workers in the arts, organizes introductions of inventions and innovations in production and other spheres of activities. The rights of authors, inventors, and innovators are protected by the state. Oh boy, this is um, this is a lot to unpack here. I like how they have put in there in accordance with the aims of building communism. So uh, you can say whatever you want as long as it is, well, for communism. I mean, you know, the political joke that Reagan collected about the freedom of speech in the USSR had to come from somewhere and he probably didn't have to look that far. I mean, here you go. I mean, everyone is totally free to do whatever as long as it... Uh, builds communism. And this also explains all the censorship stuff. I, I made a whole episode on that, about how people would have to prove that whatever they're doing and the, any creative sphere, anything, is just put forth to build communism. That is why you had, like, the, the craziest prologues of all the translations of various pieces of literature. I mean, uh, I used to read a lot of O. Henry when I was a kid, and I like all this, you know, little con man stuff. Even that book had to have an explanation on why it is good for uh, this this whole communist order. Yeah, in, in the beginning of it, so it's just amazing. But then, then the sad story continues. <clears throat> Article 48. Citizens of the USSR have the right to take part in the management and administration of the state and public affairs and in the discussion and adoption of laws and measures of all union local significance. This right is ensured by the opportunity to vote and to be elected to Council of People's Deputies and other elective state bodies, to take part in nationwide discussions and referendums, and people's control in the work of state bodies, public organizations, and local community groups, and in meetings at places of work or residence. The problem is that you can only get elected if you're running from the Communist Party, so this basically means that unless you're a hardcore communist, you can't participate in, well, literally anything. And here is, like, the next one about the freedom of speech, which is in difference from the Article 47. This is the Article 49. And this, together with the Article 50 and Article 51, which I'm going to read together. Article 49. Every citizen has the right to submit proposals to state bodies and public organizations for improving their activity and to criticize shortcomings in their work. Officials are obliged, within established time limits, to examine citizens' proposals and requests, to reply to them, and to take appropriate action. Persecution for criticism is prohibited. Persons guilty of such persecution shall be called to account. Now, note that um, specifically, and this is the wording why I read you uh, the Lafian Constitution first. See, in Lafian Constitution, it explicitly states that 
censorship is prohibited. The USSR kind of wanted to protect their freedoms of speech, and they didn't want to appear that. They basically curtail the like freedom of information everything. That is why it specifically only states that persecution for criticism is prohibited. That's like saying that we can still tell you that what you did was wrong, but we will persecute you for um, whatever you said that was not criticism, because only persecution for criticism is prohibited. Again, you have to take all the words in account here, because, like I said, the Soviet Union loved their legalism, they loved uh, to act in accordance to the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, mind you, to the letter of the law, and thus one of these bizarre rules came into be. And then there's Article 50 and Article 51. Article 50. In accordance with the interests of the people, and in order to strengthen and develop the socialist system, citizens of the USSR are guaranteed freedom of speech, of the press, and of assembly, meetings, street processions, and demonstrations. Exercise of these political freedoms is ensured by putting public buildings, streets, and squares at the disposal of the working people and their organizations, by broad dissemination of information, and the opportunity to use press, television, and radio. Article 51. In accordance with the aims of building communism, citizens of the USSR have the right to associate public organizations that promote their political activity and initiative and satisfaction of their various interests. Public organizations are guaranteed conditions for successfully performing the functions defined in the rules. And then Article 52. Citizens of the USSR are guaranteed freedom of conscience, that is, the right to profess or not to profess any religion and to conduct religious worship or atheistic propaganda. Indictment of hostility or hatred on religious grounds is prohibited. In the USSR, the church is separated from the state and the school from the church. Hey guys, Annette here. Glad to have you with us for a new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to patreon.com slash theeasternborder to find out how you too can support our show. To keep up to date with all things Eastern Border, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't hesitate to send us a message with your comments and questions. That's it for now. Thank you for listening and see you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So as you might have noticed everywhere, just simply everywhere in these rules, 
there is this nice line which says, in accordance with the aims of building communism, in accordance with the interests of the people and in order to strengthen and develop the socialist system. Everything is just within the system that is just like modern constitutions emphasize, well, in some countries like in Latvia, they emphasize the democratic system. Meanwhile, the United States just are all about individual freedoms. The USSR only granted people freedoms, and even this, this is 1977 constitution, only insofar as it strengthened the state, and the state was the main agent, the only agent. The state in this case can be viewed, because all of this reads, unlike, well, what modern day people would recognize as constitutions, this is mostly read kind of like trade union statutes, I would say. Well, that reminds me, especially if you look at the trade union kind of ethics rules and rules of conduct, in most European countries, you would see similar things because, well, but those are private institutions that represent the interests of the working people, and this is kind of what this constitution was built around. It was almost surely presumed in this, and again, 77, Stalin is by long dead. This constitution presumes that everyone and everything must work for the communism, and it puts kind of like this infallibility on the party and on the communist organization. It puts in there this idea that people would be crazy not to support this communistic order. And in fact, that was used by that because even though the USSR prohibits various kind of things and guarantees the rights, those little things that state that everything is prohibited unless it's allowed, and it's allowed if it's in the interests of building communism, yeah, you know, that's some of the things because Andropov is in power at this point and the state persecutions kind of came back in the form that if you were a dissident and didn't like communism you would be most likely put into um, a mandatory asylum treatment because you would literally be considered insane legally by the officials if you would deem to profess that you are not just madly in love with all of this socialist system and that you somehow were not interested in all this. And I kind of like how they also equate religious worship and atheistic propaganda in the same sentence and equate them because... Well, they didn't say, you know, or non-religious beliefs. They don't equate religious worship to kind of like public social civic expressions of, of anything of the standards of the state. No, they, they just slam an atheistic propaganda there, which kind of also really explains why everything was kind of there. Because this constitution was, well, at least formally followed by the government. They just wrote it in a way that no one could really inside the government state that well, the government would act in kind of against the constitution. The constitution was totally observed. It's just that the way it was written allowed the Soviet state to uh, function in the oppressive ways that it did, even like after Stalin's death, because, well, that constitution shall be a different matter. I just wanted to read to you the kind of what comes after and what the Stalinization led to in the end. But all this is interesting because, again... All of this is in there because freedom of conscience is the right to profess or not to profess in religion and conduct religious worship or atheistic propaganda, which means that the state, however, see if in the United States, if it says Congress shall make no respecting of the social religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, the Communist Party as itself uh, basically says it has fundamental rights to exclude anyone who is not atheist from their ranks. So, it is totally constitutional if the Communist Party, which is, according to the Constitution, not exactly the state, but has been granted powers by the state. So, basically, you yeah, know, it's not the state prosecuting you for having religious beliefs, it's the Communist Party! And that makes it all totally constitutional now, doesn't it?
And the final part in the Swiss Constitution, when it came to rights at least, and the section that will be interesting in the future of the show, and well, right now as well, is that it also defined explicit duties to the people who were living under this constitution. Article 59. Citizens' exercise of their rights and freedoms is inseparable from the performance of their duties and obligations. Citizens of the USSR are obliged to observe the constitution of the USSR and Soviet laws, comply with the standards of socialist conduct, and uphold the honor and dignity of Soviet citizenship. Article 60. It is the duty of, and matter of honor, for every able-bodied citizen of the USSR to work consciously in his chosen, socially useful occupation and strictly to observe labor discipline. Evasion of socially useful work is incompatible with the principles of socialist society. Article 61. Citizens of the USSR are obliged to preserve and protect socialist property. It is the duty of a citizen of the USSR to combat misappropriation and squandering of state and socially owned property and to make thrifty use of the people's wealth. Persons encroaching in any way on socialist property shall be punished according to the law. Article 62. Citizens of the USSR are obliged to safeguard the interests of the Soviet state and to enhance its power and prestige. Defense of the socialist motherland is the sacred duty of every citizen of the USSR. Betrayal of the motherland is the gravest of crimes against the people. And Article 63. Military service in the ranks of the armed forces of the USSR is an honorable duty of Soviet citizens. And Article 64. It is the duty of every citizen of the USSR to respect the national dignity of other citizens and to strengthen friendship of the nations and nationalities of the multinational Soviet state. Now, what does this mean? This means that, you know, when you're drafted in the army because your university doesn't have enough, you know, spots there because you literally can't pay for it. And if you didn't make it into college, then, well, you shall serve your duty with honor and you shall be super happy because officially the Soviet Union had, as it had right to work there, it officially had no unemployment. It only had like pointless work for pointless pay. But hey, if you didn't make it to college and were not useful enough, then, well, you have your honorable duty. And the thing is, it also involves this uh, national dignity, which basically means that, yeah, you probably should be looking out as your nice little comrades and colleagues in other republics to make sure that they also do everything in accordance with socialist ideology and that, hey, don't you even think about telling how this socialist uh, society would be bad for you, you know, and, and uh, owning something misappropriating all the socialist stuff, yeah, no, um, what's misappropriating? Well, you know, that's being decided in the Communist Party, Congresses, and other nice and, and friendly places like this. Now, I hope that you've um, got a nice little inspiration on what the Soviet state was about constitution-wise, and this constitution, again, was written after Stalin's death. We'll take a look at Stalin's constitution in the future's episodes when we'll get to that, uh, but I wanted to kind of put this in before I head into that, because there'll be some subtle references, and I'll be referring to this constitution, and what it meant, and what changed, and the Soviet government's way of thought, how they viewed themselves after the Soviet Union fell. Therefore, I would love you to understand that this was how the Soviet state viewed itself. It had written itself a perfect, nice little Soviet constitution with all the I's dotted and T's crossed and all this little, nice, perfect socialist paradise where everyone was free to do exactly what the party told them to. And that's, that's a reminder to you, that's on the 1977 constitution. But yeah, let's end up this whole very legalese 
series of episodes, and trust me, information in this one, yeah, it'll be useful. Anyway, see you next week, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sign up on our Patreon, become our patrons, I'm working on more stuff there. Uh, Feel free to email us your questions, and, well, see you next week. До свидания, товарищи. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.